Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. At the same time, they wanted to partake uh, of the commercial opportunities it presented and take advantage of, uh, of a weakened uh, Britain. That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor Richard Werther talking about Sweden's contribution to the American patriot cause. And he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is brought to you by West Home Publishing, publishers of To the End of the World, Nathaniel Green, Charles Cornwallis, and The Race to the Dan by Andrew Waters. Available now wherever books are sold. Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today our guest is Richard Werther. He's got a fascinating article on how King Gustav III helped the American cause during the American Revolution and the consequences of it. We often think of the American Revolution as a very us-versus-them affair, uh, very local in orientation here in North America, but remember, the British Empire was a global empire, and this was a war with global implications. Sometimes uh, nations or kingdoms or kings would join the American cause in minor ways, uh, and we won't really understand why. Certainly, it's not because they love American liberty in in many cases. But there is always this uh, deeper consequence that we might miss unless we review all the material with an expert's eye. Richard Werther gives us that chance today. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Richard Werther. Richard Werther, welcome back. Hey, Brady. Nice to talk to you. Thanks for having me back. I think uh, we did this uh, very, very early on in the Jar Pork podcast, so thanks for uh, having me back. Tell us about your background. Okay. Uh, I'm not an, an historian by training. Uh, I actually graduated from Bucknell University in Pennsylvania with a business degree, and I spent uh, all my working years in uh, accounting and finance. Um, I was always interested in writing, though, and uh, and became quite interested in the history of the American Revolution. And uh, when I came across uh, the Journal of the American Revolution on uh, the web, it gave me the opportunity to combine those two interests. I've written a number of articles uh, for the journal. Uh, I, I like to always have an article that I'm working on. The research part is what's really interesting to me. As a as a non-historian trying to piece together those clues, so um, that's a little bit about me. What first drew your interest into this topic? Okay, well, uh, I get most of my ideas uh, from reading and finding things uh, that pique my interest that I want to research more about. Um, there were two things uh, that drove my interest in this topic. Uh, I was reading about the Battle of Savannah. And I recall reading about uh, a Swedish soldier who planted the American flag there. And that seemed like a notable thing, but, you know, just kind of an incident, not really enough to base a, a story on, but I kind of filed it away in my mind. Um, 
And the second source was uh, during the lockdown, I've I've kind of shopped around the various uh, historical societies and museums online, and they offer uh, quite a bit uh, in Zoom cast uh, interviews with authors and uh, different events. So uh, I've been uh, tapping into a lot of those. And the, the particular event that uh, brought this to my interest was uh, an event with uh, the Francis Tavern Museum in New York City. Uh, it was an event uh, commemorating evacuation day in New York City. That was the day that uh, the British Army would occupy the city throughout the war, abandon it, and, wa and Washington marched in with his troops. Uh, during the Zoom cast, uh, we all celebrated that anniversary by drinking toast. So they they uh, called out each of the toasts that, according to legend, were, were done that day when Washington's uh, people were there. And the fourth toast uh, was to the King of Sweden. And that kind of caught my attention because uh, I hadn't perceived that Sweden uh, really had much impact on the revolution and certainly not enough to be number four in the pecking order of toasts. So uh, when I combined those two things, uh, it kind of uh, morphed into a story. And that's what got me going on this. What kind of a country was Sweden during the 18th century? What was its government like? How was its uh, feelings toward revolution? Well, that, that that's kind of a, a funny thing because it's a little bit uh, of both. Um, and that was some of the contradiction uh, that was built into the title uh, of, of the story. But uh, as far as Sweden, I didn't do a lot of detailed study into what was going on there at the time. But uh, there are two things that I would say. First of all, it was a monarchy as were a lot of countries in Europe. The king was named Gustav III. And secondly, it professed neutrality in the American Revolution. You can take that neutrality with a grain of salt because when I looked into it, uh, there were there was some Swedish involvement, although it was fairly limited. And we, we'll probably cover that uh, in a little bit, but uh, um, they, they had a lot more neutrality than a, another country which professed to be neutral. And um, speaking here of France, uh, which provided uh, de facto support to the Americans before, uh, you know, they, they came out in the open and there was an agreement uh, struck with France and then they supported us openly. The title of your story is King Gustav III of Sweden, Friendly Foe of the United States. Uh, it's a bit of a contradiction. Can you explain your thinking behind that title? Yeah, well, uh, it, it reflects the uh, ambivalence uh, that Gustav uh, himself expressed, and it comes down to the whole neutrality thing. Uh, the Swedish uh, claim to fame was that Gustav, Gustav was being honored uh, by a toast at Francis Tavern, first country not involved in the revolution to strike a trade agreement with America after the revolution was won. And if you think about that fact, you might, on the surface, conclude that uh, the king was a supporter of the revolution. Uh, you know, after all, they were drinking toast to him, but uh, he was far from that. Um, he expressed some early admiration for the pluck of the American rebels and uh, what they were up against. But he was really one of the more strident or probably the most strident opponent of the European monarchs. Um, and you can kind of understand that if, you, if you're a king. I mean, it's almost reflective, reflexive that you would be uh, against a revolution that challenges the power of a monarch. 
it's not a good thing, uh, a good precedent for you. Uh, it was a lesson that was uh, lost on Louis the Sixteenth, uh, fortunately for us, but unfortunately for him. So uh, Gustav kind of had this weird sort of contradictory place in the whole story. He opposed the revolution, yet he was the first official commercial ally of the newly minted United States and soldiers who were drinking toast in it. Uh, that's kind of the contradiction I was trying to express in the title. And uh, let me quote uh, Gustav on, on something, uh, if I could. Uh, he said, I cannot admit that it is the right that it is right to support rebels against their king. The example will find only too many imitators in an age where it is the fashion to overflow, overthrow every bulwark of authority. But I presume... I shall give in in this matter. The matter he was talking about was letting uh, Swedish citizens uh, fight in the war. How did France aid in bringing Sweden into the war? Uh, the, the diplomatic politics of this are really fascinating. Yes. Well, uh, you know, France, uh, well, first, let me say that uh, uh, Sweden, Sweden's role, I don't want to make more of it than there were, than there really was, because it, it was very limited in the war itself. As I said, their claim to fame was uh, that they had uh, that they were the first neutral supporter of of America after the war. Uh, a limited number of uh, Swedes actually participated, and it wasn't under the Swedish flag. Uh, their their participation was also essentially uh, mercenary. Uh, it was for adventure and glory, and not uh, they weren't believers in the Republican ideals like, uh, say, Lafayette was and some of the other French people were. Uh, but there were two ways that the French brought, brought them in in this limited role. Uh, first was uh, that the leading advocate for the war in France was Vergennes, Comte de Vergennes, the French foreign minister. His role had previously been as foreign minister uh, in uh, Sweden uh, for France. And he, he was involved in the revolution uh, that brought Gustav to power in the first place. He helped him with money and uh, some tactical stuff to, to get in there. So uh, their relationship might have facilitated Gustav uh, relenting, uh, as I had quoted before, to, uh, to limited involvement of the Swedish people. Uh, the second reason was the French were, uh, were building their navy extremely quickly. Um, their navy was in poor shape after the Seven Years' War, and uh, they, they had big plans not only in North America, but uh, they were working with Spain to, and considering an invasion of the British mainland. So they had to really uh, build up their shipping capacity to match the British. Um, they, they could build these ships, but they needed people to, to be on them, to man them. And... Uh, this caused them to employ uh, people from Sweden as well as from other countries to uh, to get that uh, navy going. So that that was uh, how, how they brought it, brought them in. The other reason you mentioned that some Swedish nationals will join the fight. Uh, who were some of these men? Yes, uh, let me try to put uh, an order of magnitude. As I said, it's quite it's quite small. And it was done by looking at the surnames and the records to try to figure out how how many were Swedish. But uh, there were roughly 200 who participated under the flags, mostly of France, but uh, some of the Netherlands and some even worked with American privateers. Uh, There's two in particular I focused on in my story. Uh, Their names are Axel de Fersen 
and Kurt von Stedding. Uh, the first the first one was really the more colorful of the two. He was very close uh, with Marie Antoinette and was in France. Uh, so close, in fact, that uh, there were a lot of rumors that there was intimate, an intimate relationship. Um, when the heat of the scandal got a little too strong for him, um, he he uh, joined the French armed forces and shipped out uh, with Rochambeau to North America and was eventually uh, working in that capacity through the siege of Yorktown. Uh, von Stedding was uh, a leader He's the guy I mentioned uh, who planted the flag at the siege of Savannah. Um, it was un an unsuccessful siege. Uh, he played uh, a heroic role in it and, uh, uh, plant, as I said, planted the flag before it was repulsed. Uh, the reason I uh, focus on these two is they're the only two Swedish soldiers who were awarded me membership in the Society of the Cincinnati. This is a military society formed for the veterans of the revolution. Uh, it's interesting to note that when they went back to Sweden, the king prohibited them from wearing the medals that they were awarded uh, for membership in the society because he didn't want to honor a successful rebellion against the monarch. So you see, again, uh, the, the kind of uh, going back and forth uh, of the king, the ambivalence about uh, the revolution. How important were the post-war economic treaties to Sweden? Right, that's that's the one that uh, really earned uh, the King of Sweden his toast uh, at, at uh, Francis Tavern. Uh, they were anxious to do business with the United States, and uh, the, the the treaty was strictly a commercial thing. They they were not uh, in any way indicating uh, tacit approval of the revolution, but uh, they they saw the opportunity for for some commercial uh, benefits out of that. Um, you know, I say it wasn't supporting, wasn't, uh, supporting the revolution yet. There was a certain propaganda value, or maybe that's, uh, too strong a word. Maybe it was kind of a, a bragging rights that was involved as being the first nation to enter into a treaty with the new United States. Uh, I think, uh, that, that was something, uh, it was a more value to be able to say for the United States than it was to Sweden. But it also kind of gave Sweden uh, the leg up on everyone else. And this, they were mindful of this when they were negotiating this agreement. So that was part of the purpose of it. It's kind of a sad story, but uh, what eventually happens to King Gustav? Yeah, um, you know, Louis XVI, we all know what happened to him. Uh, things didn't particularly end well for Gustav either. Um he was shot in an assassination attempt in 1792, uh, died a, about a week or two later from uh, infection of the wounds. Uh, when you look at that, there's a temptation to say that this action, that he was right, that this action was a result uh, of revolutionary forces uh, or ideas that were unleashed by the success of the American Revolution. But uh, when you look at the situation, that doesn't appear like it's real, it really was the case. It seems to have been motivated by internal politics. There was a conflict going on between uh, the nobility and the king. And uh, uh, although if you look at the members of that group that uh, carried out the assassina assassination, one of them had been had fought in the American Revolution, wasn't one of the two that I mentioned earlier, but uh, he, he was one that uh, was in it more than just as a mercenary uh, 
it's said of him that he had a lot of the revolutionary fervor of the American ideas. And uh, it's hard to say whether uh, he carried that that uh, thought process into uh, plotting the assassination or not. But uh, it's an open question, really. And you can't answer it with certainty as to whether um, the American Revolution kind of uh, backfired on Gustav as, as it did for Louis. How does this article help us to understand the revolutionary era better? Well, uh, you know, I think it kind of puts into perspective how at least one European country outside the fray regarded the revolution. In Sweden's case, as, as we've talked about, it's, it's kind of quite an ambivalent view. Uh, they, they had hatred of the British dominance, which uh, France had in spades and pretty much everyone else except Britain itself had too. Uh, so that was nothing uh, uh, unique, but uh, uh, the king had had good self-preservation instincts, I should say, as a as a monarch, um, and uh, for that reason opposed the revolution. But there were also commercial imperatives involved that uh, he he wanted to uh, be the first to uh, to contract with the Americans or or to treat with the Americans. So. Uh, the precedents uh, set by the revolution in terms of uh, Republican government uh, and a successful rebellion against a uh, monarch um, were something uh, that many of these countries uh, understandably feared. And uh, at the same time, they wanted to partake uh, of the commercial opportunities it presented and take advantage of, uh, of a weakened uh, Britain. So, uh, you know, that, that's kind of a, a summary of uh, how Sweden was looking at this thing. And uh, as the title uh, implied, uh, a very uh, uh, mixed way of, of looking at it, but uh, trying to exploit what they could for their advantage. Richard Werther, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. The music played in this episode include works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.